S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 19, starring Elliot Gould. Originally aired on April 16th, 1977. Hello, my name is Keith. Welcome to SN Hell. Joining me as always, my good buddy Matt. Good evening, Matt. Good evening. How are things? Things are fine, as usual. Just fine. Nice. Just fine or just fine? Uh, the, the latter. Okay. It is our third time seeing Elliot Gould. He was one of your favorites from season one. So let's see if he uh, he keeps that up. Then I didn't like that second one, though. No, no, you didn't hate it. It was a letdown from the first one for you, mm. for sure. So we'll see. We'll see. And joining us tonight, uh, one of our favorite third chairs, it's our good buddy, Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Things are good. Things are good. Is this your first Elliot Gould with us, or were you here for another one? Uh, no, it's my first time with Mr. Gould. Yeah, I, I heard swimming things from the first one, so I was I was looking forward to it. So yeah, this is Gould's third time hosting. He now joins the likes of Buck Henry and Candace Bergen in the uh, Three Timers Club, which at this point in time is, is a pretty impressive thing. The show's only been on for two years. The first Gould episode was really, really strong. The second one was good, but it wasn't quite the first. However, the IMDb actually grades the second one much higher. It had that famed Star Trek sketch in it. Gould was supposed to host the Dick Cavett episode earlier in the year, but he had to pull out due to an Olivia Newton-John television special. But he's back now, and uh, I'm kind of excited to see how he does tonight. And his musical guests are the McGarrigal Sisters and Rosalind Kind. Are you familiar with either of these folks? Uh, no, I was going in blind. I maybe had some preconceptions from the name, the McGarrigal Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> they might have been somewhat met. So uh, I, I guarantee you know one of the McGarrigal Sisters songs. I guarantee it. Yeah, they, they definitely sounded familiar. They are the singers of the... Uh, the the very classic log drivers waltz from the oh old, right oh yeah they had that, the old national film board uh, commercial which several generations of Canadians absolutely adore I've busted that out as a bartender just put it on late at night when everyone's sitting around and it's like kind of quiet and the whole room just bursts into song it's it's as like you should. there's there's something deeply deeply rooted about a certain generation of Canadians with that song. Yeah, probably, you know, probably two generations now, or maybe two and a half generations even. You know, it's uh, such a popular tune, and uh, and the cartoon, of course, helps a great deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, they didn't write it, they, but they were the singers of that. And uh, Rosalind Kind, as we find out tonight, I, I have actually heard the name a number of times and definitely heard her sing before. But I didn't realize she was Barbara Streisand's sister until tonight. Hmm. Cold open, and we have uh, Dan and Gilda. They're playing Russian emissaries who are trying to negotiate broadcasting rights for the 1980 Olympics with Elliot Gould returning as Herb Goldman, the uh, NBC executive who canceled star trek last year he's accompanied by his uh, assistant phil played by bill murray belushi comes in as brezhnev and actually the first thing i thought was it actually kind of made me wish that belushi was around long enough to do gorbachev brezhnev is willing to negotiate with nbc if he can be on uh, johnny carson can't be the last 15 minutes and it can only be with Johnny Carson, not a guest host. And Clint Eastwood has to be one of the guests as well. And then Belushi gives Live from New York at Saturday night as Leonid Brezhnev. This was very silly. I got some serious laughs out of it. 
it's their way of kind of saying how popular Johnny Carson was, but also being a little snarky about it. I thought this was a pretty good cold open. It was all right for me. I definitely enjoyed the silliness. Like, Belushi's really having a, a fun time hamming it up. I feel like it might have been one of those things that's just a little topical and dated for, for myself. But, yeah, it was it was goofy. It was all right. I enjoyed it myself. I thought everybody, uh, Belushi did a great job, I, I thought, uh, as Mark mentioned. And uh, the Russian accents were pretty on point the only thing i don't like and this is nitpicky and it has nothing to do with the sketch i don't like when the host is in the cold open uh because i i feel like it takes some of the the pop away from the uh the introduction during the monologue you know that's just my opinion man so odd too because like the 1980 olympics wind up that's the one they boycott right it winds up all being for naught yeah crazy but I, i still think everybody did a good job yeah yeah i just don't like it's just i don't know like who else could have done that i i guess Fucking anybody could have done that. It's not like Elliot well, Gould was out there doing anything special. He was just talking. No, I think they were just trying to tie it back. Yeah, Herb Goodman from the Star Trek sketch. So they just brought him back again. I oh, guess. right, 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 right. Yeah. Fair. I think that's the only reason, yeah. So the monologue, um, and this one, it's it's the first time I've actually seen a writer credit for the monologue beyond Chevy, and it's uh, Michael O'Donoghue wrote this one. And uh, Gould comes out in a top hat and tails with a cane. And he's always done in his two previous performances, and he refers to it. He does these musical numbers. So he says he was going to come out and sing a popular old song, but instead he wants to do a song that was popular, but's now kind of forgotten. They're going to be doing a song called The Castration Walk. Gould is joined by Bill Murray and John Belushi, and they sing a song about walking after castration. Gould dances, Belushi and Murray lay on the floor in pain. Their voices get high and stuff like that. To me, this was the perfect mix of like some real talent and yet extreme ridiculousness. I'm a fan of this type of music. I didn't doubt that this song actually probably really existed at some point, but it turned out to just be a Michael O'Donoghue thing. Really enjoyed this beginning, actually. This was uh, this was nice. Rather than just having Gould come out and sing a standard, I liked it. Yeah, you could really tell how much fun they were having with it, which, like, they were just having a blast. It was, yeah, it, 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 like you said, it was a good combination of showcasing legit song and dance talent, but then just super over-the-top juvenile you know goofery so uh, yeah this is quite enjoyable two for three ain't bad huh i thought it was pretty dumb i don't like the uh the high voice ball jokes i i think that's just doesn't do it for me and i don't like musical numbers so that doesn't do it for me either pretty pretty tough for uh, me to watch when those are my particular tastes for fair i'm i'm a big fan yeah. of dumb myself <laughs> i'm not gonna try to defend dumb humor but this was the kind of dumb that makes me giggle like like a, a, a stupid young schoolboy. So now we go to the Coneheads, and this again, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Tom Davis. Elliot Gould comes to visit the Coneheads, and he's a phone uh, installer and uh, repairman. Primat asks for 35 phone lines because they're getting messages from home. As he goes out to get telephones from the truck, Lorraine and Jane try to vacuum the living room up but uh, Lorraine or I should say Connie notes that the particle collector is inefficient so Jane puts the hose in her mouth and sucks up the dirt they're getting messages from from back home and it's a message from Mercon Elliot Gould walks in and wonders who Mercon is and uh, Connie says it's her uncle from France so Mercon comes in and it's Garrett with a cone head on and the audience goes absolutely berserk for him and uh, he tells the cone heads that they're banished on earth for 125 years because Beldar frigged up his his threats to to earth Mercon and the conehead family share pizza and beer and then uh, elliot gould notes that he finds the erotic senso rings in connie's bed 
Jane is mad because her cone is far too young to know what Senso rings are, and she gets sent to her room, but then behind her parents' back and the back of Mercon as they're eating pizza, Elliot Gould does the ring toss to her as she says things like, oh baby. I, I enjoyed this. Garrett's Mercon, who's, you know, fresh from, uh, from Remulac, is so bloody odd that he makes the other three seem somewhat like assimilated to Earth. Really enjoyed this. Weakest Coneheads. Weakest Coneheads is, is not a bad place to be. I'm not a big fan of the Coneheads, I don't think. I remember seeing the movie when I was a kid and, and feeling like I didn't quite get something. And I think this is my first time seeing a, an actual Conehead sketch. I don't know. The voice is just kind of great on me. There, there were a couple chuckles. Uh, I really appreciated how much the audience was into it, uh, especially when Garrett came in. But I was not feeling this. Not for me, I guess, maybe. Tough one to start on. Uh, certainly, as Keith said, the weakest of the Conehead sketches, uh, if you haven't caught the others. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, though, uh, because it was definitely the least funny. But uh, yeah, Garrett was really good. He, what a good pop for him when he came out. I continue to think uh, Jane is brilliant in these with her mannerisms and just the way she kept sitting uh, down on the arm of the chair. So automatically <laughs> when she was cleaning the house, uh, she had me cracking up and her her apron. <laughs> I hate housework. Dan's voice, um, the way he delivers the lines, it's so fast yet so clear. Terrific. Elliot Gould just kind of, uh, it's, it's interesting when they just let the host kind of like, yeah, just fuck off and blend into the background. Uh, but I mean, he's good at it. He, he feels like a cast member when he's on. So I guess I'm just with you, Keith, Le- weakest of the Coneheads. But as you said, a good place to be. I still enjoyed it. The other note I had for this is, holy shit, the boom mics are everywhere tonight. Have you guys noticed? Everywhere. Oh, my God, yes. It was crazy, yeah. One creeped in during the the, the cold open, yeah. and uh, they, they swung like a crane camera or something around over the stage just as Elliot Gould was coming out and then scooped it off really quick. They had like some some raw, rough tech guys going on or something. You know, there's, there's a newbie in the house. <laughs> It won't be the first time I noticed this evening, but Lorraine flubbed a few lines. And I noticed that a lot of them do tonight. There's a lot of flubbed lines tonight for whatever. Oh, yeah. That was my next note, actually. Um, All night. It's, uh, you know, Lorraine, Garrett, and Bill in particular. Bill was (laughs) bad tonight. He flubbed in in every skit he was in, pretty much. He flubbed something. Probably got a bad batch down on 42nd. (laughs) So we now go to the McGarrigal sisters with their first song, and it's called Kiss and Say Goodbye. Um. Not much on the bio here, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bit to go through tonight, but it's Kate on piano and lead vocals and Anna on bass and background vocals. This song was released on 1976 as Kate and Anna McGarrigal, which Melody Maker, a popular British ma- uh, music magazine, said was the best album of 1976. These ladies are from Quebec. They're, they're writers, uh, singers, songwriters. This song did not do it for me, and I'll talk about them a bit later. It's like, time out, time out. How could the, anybody think that these ladies put out the best album of 1976? Hotel California came out in 1976. Station to Station came out in 1976. Night Moves? Ever hear of Night Moves? What a, that's outrageous, Melody Maker. 
My goodness. The song was boring. This whole act is boring. They're back to the boring music on SNL. I really, I don't have anything to say about it. I really thought it was fucking dull. This felt like my, you know, like your grandma's version of a shitty B-side of a band song. Like there was, the, it was, it was all right. It didn't make me mad or anything. I, I tapped my toe for about eight seconds somewhere in the middle. Like it sort of got to me for a second, but then I, I checked out and I, it was a little boring. Yeah. <laughs> Mark had two bars of enjoyment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kisses Destroyer also came out in 1976. Like, come on. Next sketch, you've come a long way, buddy. And this is a show by men for men. And it's hosted by Elliot Gould. Uh, to me, I thought this was friggin' hilarious. There is some mess ups with the camera, but uh, it's, it's, it's the four men, the four cast member men and Gould. So uh, Dan runs a gallery for art done by men with music written by men playing over the uh, the speakers. Garrett works with uh, young black men in Harlem, and uh, he talks about the special problems that his 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 uh, co-workers and his clients, I suppose, have being both black and men. So he started an all male basketball league in Harlem. Bill Murray opened a new bar for men. It's for men and women who are sick of the single scene. And this is a place where men can feel safe talking to women who aren't going to assume that they just want them in the in, in between the sheets, as Bill says. John Belushi opened a rape hotline for men who feel guilty after committing rape. Um, and that helped to relax the uh, guys from feeling so upset after committing sexual assaults. And also he's helping to, I guess, remove the stigma, uh, the social stigma that exists even today of being a rapist. This whole friggin' sketch was absolutely hilarious. When people say, how come there's not an International Men's Day? They should watch this sketch. I was in stitches over this. This is one of the funniest sketches I've seen. If you read it for what it is, if you listen to it word for word or, or see it just on the page, it's a terrible sketch. If you see what they're actually saying, I thought this was, was absolutely brilliant social satire and uh, two big thumbs up from me. Yeah, it definitely felt like so over the top and the way they just kept kept saying the word men for men and we did this for men. It was it was pretty humorous. I don't know if you'd get away with this nowadays, uh, even though uh, I, I think it's also weirdly ahead of its time. Like it's it's got there's there's something interesting going on here. And, and I had some pretty good laughs at, at how especially Dan Aykroyd, when he was going off at the start about Arsh being, you know, not something that men are allowed to do. But then here's all this great art by men. And, and yeah, that's when the camera hiccups seem to happen. But yeah, no, this was all right. Dan was definitely my favorite part of it, walking us through uh, this art history and uh, pointing out the paintings of men by men. Uh, I also really enjoyed all the, all the best uh, chefs were men. And, and uh, yeah, that's just the constant references to men, like you guys said. The only, uh, I didn't find Garrett's particularly funny. Belushi's had my fucking jaw on the floor. I was still laughing, though, but I, I couldn't believe they went to there. But uh, yeah, overall, as a sketch, Bill Murray was fine, but uh, Dan stole it for me, for sure. I did like it. Thumbs up. It's simply put because of the verbiage and the words rather than the meaning. A, sh a sketch like this would never get on the air. No, I, I think, you know, if, if they s s mostly just Belushi's bit, you know, about, about the rape hotline, it's it's a little too cavalier, perhaps, for, for modern day, even though the joke is is pointed in the right direction, if that makes sense. But yeah. No, uh, I, I don't see anyone putting this on a TV screen nowadays unless you're on <laughs> some real dark corners of the Internet. 
you know, yeah. like there's yeah. there's there's some some incel folks out there who would watch this and be like, yeah, you know, and just completely miss the joke. Uh, which yeah, is yeah. why you got to be yeah. careful with that sort of stuff. I'd say you'd have 10 times as many people going, no, this is terrible. Yeah. This is no chauvinistic. It's quite the opposite. So uh, we now go to weekend updates. And this is Jane starts by uh, by messing around with a camera. Funny line, uh, Wrigley's, the founder of Wrigley's passed away and uh, his remains will be stuck to the bottom of the lunch counter. Lillian Carter was sent to prison for spanking the president. Bill Murray comes out to talk about an anti-pornography rally that he attended, and he uses tons of innuendo to, to discuss how it went on. Very funny, but again, there was a lot of mic fuck-ups as if somebody was rattling papers right next to it. Bill is then told he can leave when he's finished, but he can't. He's a little embarrassed. So he sticks around to read uh, a couple of stories, one about Margaret Trudeau going to a dry cleaners. Oh, and then there's a demonstration of, of a new way to get cancer out of cigarettes and it's a, a, a little white mouse that you can use as sort of a filter and bills there for that as well i thought was funny a little bit written by gilda and alan zweibel howdy doody killed himself and they throw to lorraine who's interviewing his widow debbie doody at the funeral now this is kind of a famous clip and it involves a very happy debbie doody played by gilda bouncing around on the strings with a big, big smile. And she actually does uh, succeed at breaking up Lorraine. Belushi comes out. He does a bit about the weather and he has a lamp and a fan there to demonstrate. And also he has sugar cubes and some uh, polystyrene and a, a squirt bottle to demonstrate rain. It eventually goes into uh, a bit about tornadoes and parachutes. And it's his character that gets all worked up over things. And I think this is the first time we actually hear Belushi's famous, but no. Jane tries to cut him off. He tells her back off curtain. He raises his fists. He goes on a bit about Mexican chili. And then he starts freaking out, falls out on a chair. Yeah, there's no more commercial in the middle of weekend update. All things considered, this was a pretty good weekend update, but they're definitely fucking with the formula. I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I know we've sung Jane's praises before, but I just I, I prefer her delivery and and she's having fun with it, which is nice. The the whole Bill Murray bit with all the innuendos is, is right up my alley and very well written. Uh, and you could see Murray was having a good time delivering it. His joke about not being able to get up just the way he, he dropped that line. I can't was just that hit me really hard. Uh, I really enjoyed that, too. And and the whole Gilda Lorraine bit was just an absolute joy to watch. Just the, the amount of fun they were having with that was so silly. Uh, and seeing Lorraine break was great. The Bushy bit ran a, a little long for me. Uh, I thought it started really strong and it was good. It just it, having to get worked up like that takes time to, to make it make sense. But uh yeah, it was all right. It was just a, a hair along. I was I was ready for the joke to be done by the time it was. I liked parts of this weekend update certainly more than others. The parts that I liked were Jane's jokes. Uh, she seemed a little more manic than usual. Gilda and Lorraine, uh, as you guys said, were really funny. Gilda bouncing around with that smile. That was some good laughs. But Bill's bit I didn't care for uh, very much. And I know there was issues, but I still didn't think his delivery was very good. And I hated Belushi's stupid weatherman segment. And all I could think of the whole time is Jane must be fucking hating this. Yeah, I, I just didn't think he was funny at all, you know, with his uh, flailing around the physical comedy. You know, if you find that funny, you find it funny. I liked the physical comedy more than when uh, when Chevy did it. But that's neither here nor there. Tale of two weekend updates. I liked Jane, Gilda, and Lorraine. Didn't like the dudes. Yeah, Belushi was a little long, for sure. And I think that's our first time seeing Lorraine break up. So uh, I'm keeping kind of a tally here. 
Yeah, I, I definitely hear you on the manic thing. Everybody seems like there's something going on, you know, like the something before the show or behind the scenes. Everything just seems a little off with this whole episode in that regard. So we now go to it's Nick Summers, but it's the debut of Nick, the lounge singer, which goes on to be Bill Murray's probably his most famous character on the show. This is a character Bill Murray had kind of done before, but it was definitely further developed by co-writers. Marilyn Miller worked on this one. Dan Aykroyd worked on this character. Tom Davis and Paul Schaefer, they were all kind of in on this uh, this character over the years. So it's Nick the Lounge Singer. He's at the Breezy Point Lodge at Lake Minnetonka in Minnesota, and he sings I Write the Songs. So this is a small like vacation lodge full of a very uninterested audience. He's lounge singing entertainment. Mr. and Mrs. Alquist, they're celebrating their anniversary. They don't want him to sing them a song, but he does anyway. Elliot Gould is Skeeter Miller, the local ski instructor, and Lorraine is Mrs. Campbell, and it's strongly implied they're having something of a fling. Dan enters as a Jimmy Joe Red Sky, a local indigenous person who caught a fish, and he's there with the catch of the day. Then Nick tries to get everyone up to dance. And he sings, sing a song, but nobody will get up and dance. So basically, this is the story of a very energetic lounge singer who's not overly talented, but he loves to entertain and no one gives a shit. My heart really goes out to the character. I, I, I do go on to really enjoy the Nick sketches. At this point, it's definitely not fully formed. It's not like the Coneheads that sort of come out of the box ready to go. There's still some work to do on this one. Yeah, this feels a little like maybe... I don't know, ahead of its time with the sense of humor, the sort of obnoxious main character and the awkward, uncomfortable humor. It feels something that's like more of, of the last 10 years. I wasn't super into it. Like I didn't laugh all that much, but at the same time, it was like it was entertaining to a certain degree. I was sort of engaged like they're really going for it, but it, it just I don't know, felt a little bit clunky. I also thought it was weird that like Elliot Gould's character didn't even say anything. He was just sitting there. You'd think they would they would have wrote a line or two for him, uh, but he, he just seemed to sort of be tacked on. And it was more Lorraine being uncomfortable, being you know spotlighted with him was the joke, I guess. This one feels like it needed a little more work, like it was half-baked. A little more time in the oven would have fixed it up just right. But uh, as Keith mentioned, it's, it's just not out of the box, quite shiny, bright and new yet. The, the thing I love, and yeah, the jokes aren't there. I also think it's weird that Elliot Gould might as well just be an extra here. Uh, but whatever. He Maybe he just likes blending in with the cast. At least it feels that way based on watching his episodes. The character Bill Murray is creating is uh, the, you know, the, the lounge lizard. Any of the thousands that know me personally know that this is just my, this is my genre. This is the kind of stuff that I'm really into. I love the the host that is a little weird and a little slimy. So, yeah, I, I actually really liked it, despite the fact that uh, it didn't always work. But I liked it because I, I just know how much I like this kind of stuff. And I love that kind of character. Yeah. And for, for us, that goes all the way back to when Rob Reiner came out. If you remember, he came out as a lounge lizard. And then there was the Gary Weiss film. Yeah, you've been very open about your adoration for this sort of sl slimy sleaze hashtag goals <laughs> aspirations we have a chiron here for a gregarious loner we then go to the united face bank and it's jane as joan crawford with a character named kenny who was born without a face 
Um, the internet has nowhere listed who played Kenny, but I'm going to say it's either Alan Zweibel or Jim Downey, because I could see a tuft of red hair sticking up the back. Garrett enters as Eldo Johnson, a player for the Miami Dolphins who was born without a face, but he got one transplanted, and it was an 11-year-old white girl. He wished it could have been a, a fully grown black man, but he's happy with that. And uh, I got to give kudos to the makeup on this one. Holy jumpins, they did great with, with Garrett's face. He asks if they have a, 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 a black male face yet, and she says he can go check the fridge. <laughs> fridge has a bunch of jars with faces on them, which is very, very odd, but fit the uh, sketch really well. This was really well done and just weird enough that I, I really liked it. Jane sold the hell out of this. Like Her performance is really engaging, and she's just like super in character. Yeah, Garrett's makeup him working that that face was was really well done uh, again this feels like one that could have used a couple more actual jokes like it, it feels like this is all premise it was entertaining and engaging but there, there weren't a whole lot of things to laugh at i found it's been too long since i've been weird about it so i'll be weird about it here for a second jane is a beautiful woman holy shit uh, I couldn't take my eyes off of her Joan Crawford in this sketch. She was tremendous. When Garrett came in with that face, I almost shat. I could not believe how they made him look and how good it looked. And yeah, going to the, the face fridge and looking through these jars, it's like something you'd see on Futurama or some hideous dystopian movie. Uh, I loved it. This is the kind of thing I would have expected to see on later in the evening because of its uh, bizarre nature. But, you know, I, I love getting weird. Peak levels. And that, that definitely made it super enjoyable. That, that face fridge was so creepy. It was like something out of a serial killer's house. Yeah, what a strange sketch, eh? The makeup people are earning their pay tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the makeup people are making up for the tech guys shit in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> Half the tech guys are working makeup tonight. Uh, maybe that's what was up. Yeah. So we now go to a Gary Weiss film, and it's a thing about sports violence. And it's really just a sort of a highlight reel of, of fights and violent acts in sports, which, uh, to be fair, was a huge deal in the 70s. It was everywhere. Um, and uh, Ray Charles's version of America the Beautiful, Beautiful plays over this. Um, there wasn't much to this. I, I don't even know why Gary Weiss would get a director credit for this. You know, it's sort of just basically put together a plays of the day video. No, it was it was all right. I don't mind watching highlight reels of of sports fights. <laughs> Got to see my flyers in there a couple times, which was nice. It it was fine. It it definitely felt like I don't know. He he didn't actually have a film ready, so he just slapped something together. You know, in the juxtaposition between the song and and what's going on and with the video. I don't know if it was more of a joke or, or trying to be poignant about it, but yeah, it was all right. I didn't care for it as much as for a, a Gary Weiss film. Now, don't get me wrong. As I mentioned time and time again, when the Gary Weiss films hit, uh, my, my brain adjusts appropriately uh, because I know I'm not expecting necessarily haha funny and uh, I'm ready for something interesting, too. But I really found this neither. He edited some clips together and and put a, uh, a song over it to be cute. And uh, I, I didn't get it and I didn't like it. Chiron, uh, this person started Christmas shopping yesterday. We now go back to the McGarrigal sisters again. This one's called Heart Like a Wheel. This type of music doesn't belong on the show. Um, Matt has said that many times. I have agreed and debated, but uh, this is just not suited for this show at all. 
I, I, I mean, it might be a pretty song, but I couldn't get over the, the context it was in. But, uh, but yeah, that's all I got on that. Whose grandma is staying up late to watch SNL? Like, yeah, the, the, this is not the right audience. If the last song was boring, this this was Xanax and video form. I, I legitimately felt myself drifting off for a second and had to like snap myself to to, to get back engaged. It was it's yeah, maybe maybe pretty, but like you said, it does doesn't belong here. Dear Melody Maker, the other albums that came out in 1976, Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, the Modern Lovers debut album, Blondie's debut album, Lou Reed's Coney Island Baby, Dirty Deeds Done Jerk Cheap, Tom Petty's debut album, The Ramones, Rush 2112, Joni Mitchell, Hedgera, Joni's best album, by the way. And one of my personal Frank Zappa albums, Zoo to Lures, but that certainly wasn't a hit. Come on, Melody Maker. Yeah, 76 sounded like it was a damn good year for tunes. What the hell yeah. is, what the hell are we talking about these people for? Uh, so, uh, 24 Hour Bank, and this was written by Dan Aykroyd and Alan Zweibel. Garrett is there, and he's, uh, I think he's a loan shark, and he's trying to collect money from Bill Murray. So, this is basically, a, it's a 24 hour bank, and it's basically an ATM. It's got really giant buttons, which I kind of like. Um, so when you use the ATM, you have to answer a special set of security questions. Uh, it's an IQ test. And uh, if you pass that, you then have to do sort of a video game driving test. So Bill is doing this and he fails and they say he's a drunk driver. When he does get to get his money out, it's there's been a change in the Federal Reserve laws and people are now paid in head cheese instead. So uh, some cheese comes out instead of money. This wasn't a great sketch, but the thing that really drove me nuts is that Garrett was blocking the screen with his head the whole time. Uh, his positioning sucked or the camera positioning sucked. So uh, this is a pass for me. This definitely feels like something that they came up with after hitting that bad batch on 42nd Street. And they thought it was hilarious when they were on the drugs. But if you're not with them in that, it's just kind of like a little weird, especially when when the head cheese like I was flip flopping. It's like, OK, the staging was was poorly executed. And then like the head cheese is the punchline coming out instead of money. I was just like, I don't know about this one, guys. I thought it was a cute concept. The, the 1977 ATM machine was uh, pretty funny. Too much trouble with the execution. Not enough jokes, and I think Mark's pretty spot on that somebody was high and thought putting head cheese through the slot was just going to be funny. Uh, I still I like the idea that they all of a sudden the government is like, hey, by the way, meat is money now. That that's got a lot of potential, but they didn't do anything with it. We now have a Chiron, and uh, this person will cherish this moment. We now go to the Natural Causes Cafe, and Gilda and Elliot go in as a couple, and this place is run by Jason and Sunset, formerly known as Chloe. And they're back from episode 105, the Peter Boyle episode, where they showed slides from their acid trip. They're this new-aged couple, and they have this restaurant, and they serve animals that only died from natural causes because they don't believe in killing. Gould is very iffy about it, but Gilda is game for trying it out. The, the menu doesn't have much on it because they don't know what's going to die and when it's going to die. After going through a bunch of possible options like frog legs from a biology lab, bugs from a window seagulls that drowned in an oil slick on a racehorse that got struck by lightning a cow drops from the sky and jason asks elliot how he'd like his steak this wasn't great Aykroyd and, and lorraine were all in for their characters but uh this didn't do it for me 
This was all right for me. The yeah, Ackroyd and, and Lorraine really like selling the and, and nailing that that character type, and and you know just like more than vegan and all that sort of stuff. I, I had a found a little bit of humor in that. When the cow came crashing through the ceiling though, that got a pop out of me. I, I just super unexpected. It, it was it was just like a really wacky way to end something that was otherwise not that wacky of a skit, I guess. Their characters are wacky, but the fact that they're trying to do this doesn't seem that far afield for me. I could see a restaurant like this being open in this day and age. But to have that cow come flying through, and I think Gould broke a little too when it happened. I, I, I caught him turning away from the camera really quickly and hard, and it looked like he was cracking. So I think it got him too. It sounds like I enjoyed this a bit more than you guys. To Mark's point, this is just this is just a place I expect to find in the north end of my city presently, and uh, I expect them to talk like this and treat me like this. So I, I, the accuracy of it was really making me laugh. The way Dan kept fixing his hair and uh, the the voice affectation he was using uh i just thought he was really funny i thought they were both really funny and uh carried the whole sketch <laughs> with the dying sheep like you want to eat that uh, I, I definitely liked it more than you guys it was one of the highlights of the episode for me nice nice elliot gould introduces Rosalind kind and uh again i've seen and heard her for years but had no idea she was streisand's sister until now she sings a song i'm not alone anymore I mean, this is very, very well done, but again, this is not the show for this type of music. I'm sorry if I'm stealing your thunder tonight, Matt, but uh, I have felt this way stronger tonight than I ever have. It's okay. Like, welcome. Welcome to the club, to the shitty how-you-feel music club. It's rotten. There's too many fucking songs on this episode, too. Come on. This is three now. Plus that song in the monologue. You know, I get it. Some people like musicals more than I do, and that's fine. Now, I'm not going to be out here and say some people like music more than I do. I have an alarming number of cassettes, mm-hmm. uh, and I listen to them on a regular basis. But it's not not here, not now. Inappropriate. You're not you're not going to you know Slayer is not going to play breakfast television. Unfortunately, I would, I would way rather see Slayer play breakfast television than have to sit through this. I did not like this. I'm ready to pay my fees to join the club too, fellas. This <laughs> this is not. The, the music I want to see uh, on the back end, too, of Saturday Night Live. Like, the later the show goes, the more, you know, you, you can get a little wild, right? Great news for you, though, Mark. No dues for the third chair. So you're just in. Thank you. We now go to a home movie, and it's called Clown Doll. And it's it's a woman is cheating on her husband with a, a little clown toy doll. The husband comes home and catches them, and he and the clown get into a mega fist fight. They blow smoke into each other's face and everything. I thought this was absolutely hilarious. One of the best home movies we've seen yet. I was all in for this right out of the gate. Even like the, the grainy look of it and everything, the creepy do- clown doll. And then it just it just took off and exceeded all expectations. I was I was a big fan of this little bit. Yeah, I thought that they did a great job. Very well done for a home uh, home movie with the fighting and the the wrestling with the puppet. Some definite effort goes into that and yeah i just thought it was funny too good sketch and i I, you know i love this i love the eight millimeter look very cool the camera angles they use to hide the the puppet work like it it looked like and some of those puppet punches and 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 kicks and stuff looked like they had actual force behind them there's someone did their their homework on on puppetry and, and camera angles with this one 
We now go to an ad, and it's for Pilsen's Feedback Dinner, and there's some guy there. His name is Chevy Chase. I had forgotten all about him. Um, uh, we've seen this sketch before. It is originally from season one, but we didn't get to see it until season two when Chevy uh, injured his uh, scrotum. This was a weird I, – I know they have these on hand to just slip in when they need them, but I, I'm thinking the audience is kind of getting over Chevy now, and then they sneak him back in here at the end. Uh, I found it jarring. I was uh, surprised to see Chevy back, too. I, I hadn't seen this uh, particular ad before, so I thought it was pretty funny. Didn't overstay its welcome. Decent little joke. The, the, the jingle they did behind it was, was pretty good. And at the end, when Chevy picks up his date and she asks what's for dinner and he turns to the camera and he's got, like, mashed potatoes all over his chin from having his face <laughs> jammed in the feedback, that got a good laugh out of me. So it, it was a little jarring to see Chevy all of a sudden pop up. And I was expecting him, as soon as I saw him, to do some kind of riff about him being gone or something. I didn't realize this was an old rerun. But I pretty much agree with Mark. I really don't have anything uh, particularly interesting or exceptional to add. Yeah, I mean, he kind of stole my notes. So we go to the good nights, and Elliot is pacing, and then he's told he's on, and he didn't realize it. Uh, the cast is hanging around in the back, and Ghoul mentions that uh, basketball player Earl the Pearl Monroe is in the audience, and he's got to kill 60 seconds. So Dan comes out talking about some uh, tanks he needs for his Harley. He's got a 19, he needs a 1971 Harley uh, cop model bike. Uh, he needs the tanks for them. Then John comes out and he's wearing these weird eyes over his eyes and wishes uh, get well soon to Gail Sayers and to Dick, Dick Butkus, his two heroes. He says goodnight to Johnny Carson and then goes on to say that Elliot Gould is the best host the show's ever had. And then the camera pans out and Dan Aykroyd is gone. I'm, I'm still wondering where the hell he goes every night or most nights. And I couldn't help but notice that Elliot Gould was wearing his uh, EG's Army shirt from uh, the second his second hosting gig. This just felt like a little bit of a mess, like the rest of the show. And and this is this made the the rerun ad with Chevy and it make more sense because they were clearly well under time and, and having to fill. So I feel like someone just ran and grabbed the first thing they could to try to fill some time. And that's why that feedback ad ended up happening. It, it definitely seemed like Dan Aykroyd and, and Belushi were like scrambling just to do something because no one else was. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I mean, Dan was funny. Sometimes I find it weird that, you know, you have professional actors and professional writers. You can't come up with 60 seconds of something. Right. Or we're all wildly talented comedic performers. Just just riff on something, you know, like that's tell what Dan was trying to do. But yeah, tell a joke. Yeah, <laughs> just a yeah. joke. Knock, uh, knock. You know, <laughs> like just, just yeah. go for it. So let's go to our, uh, our wrap up here. So the uh, host for me, Elliot Gould, there was just something missing in this Elliot Gould appearance and, and going through it with you guys. Uh, I think I'm realizing that it was actually Elliot Gould. Uh, you know, he was there, but he didn't do a hell of a lot. Felt kind of like he was a cast member who didn't get any skits in this week. Like He was just yeah. floating around in the background. They didn't really do much with him outside from the castration walk bit. Everything else, he was playing a straight man or a background character where he had next to no jokes uh, and, and and very little to do. It, it felt kind of kind of odd. And, and it, he's got charisma and, and he seems to work well with everyone and everyone seems to be having a good time with him. But it just feels like they didn't do anything with him. It was it was odd. 
he, he wasn't in a lot of stuff. He didn't bring the funny. Uh, and he just seemed like a like a not ready for primetime player that was not even it was weird and very disappointing. Uh, so I'm I'm one for three now with the Elliot Gould episodes. Yeah. So uh, the music, uh, the music. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine music, but none of it fits this show. I it's. I can't say it again. This is just so far from what should be on the show. And yet it's here three times. I feel like watching Hee Haw and Pavarotti comes out. I would love to see Pavarotti on Hee Haw. That sounds like fun. This, not fun at all. Uh, I don't know. It felt like it was such a boring entertainment black hole that maybe it sucked some of the life out of the rest of the show or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe it took me out of the show a bit. I I didn't care for it, and it's it's not the place for this at all. I mean, hold on, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which button to push to play my comments from a previous recording. <laughs> uh, this is like who books this shit? They're not paying attention. But that's all you can surmise from it. They don't care, and they're not paying attention to the musical segments of the the show. Because if they cared, this wouldn't happen. It wouldn't. It's 1976. This is a hit show. There's so many people that are probably fighting and starving and drooling to get on this show and to have a platform for a national audience for their cool, hip, young music. And I got to listen to McGarnagle. Kate McGarrigle passed away in 2010. Anna is still around. Uh, she's writing now, I believe. So Kate was married to Loudon Wainwright III, and uh, her, her son was uh, Rufus Wainwright. And uh, we saw Loudon last year on... Uh, uh, I think it was a Robert Klein episode very early on. Uh, and Rosalind Kind still touring as of a couple of years ago. Was actually actually did a tour with her sister, uh, Barbara Streisand, for a bit. Um, and just, uh, yeah, continued recording, continued doing stuff like that. So what was the worst sketch of the night, fellas? I picked the monologue. Uh, I thought the song was stupid. There's too much music. The one chance that Elliot Gould gets to, like, really come out there and do something comedic and really show off his chops. He does, like, oh high voice ball jokes and uh it was disappointing he was disappointing his performance well he didn't really have a performance uh, so i don't know you know i don't know what's coming it's the end of the season maybe some people are checked out that happens you get checked out i know when i'm going on vacation a couple of days before I'm i go on vacation i'm pretty checked out so may maybe some people are checking out for the summer definitely a, a checked out vibe going on that that tracks i gotta go with the atm skit just half-baked, poorly executed. Even if they pulled off the whole premise properly, it wouldn't have been that funny. But the fact that, you know, you, you couldn't even see the screen for half the time, it, eh, it was poop. Yeah, I also went with that. I mean, it's cool that it's about cybersecurity and, uh, you know, ATMs, but uh, I don't know. didn't work. What was the best sketch for tonight? It, it's Joan Crawford and the face transplant sketch. I'm going with that. That was my favorite. If it's allowed, I want to go with that whole movie with the the puppet. That was just like start to finish, entertaining, laughed at it. There were no drops at all. Nothing, nothing that I like fell out of it for a single second. I was I was all in from start to finish. We're all on different ed ends of the map today. I absolutely went with you've come a long way, buddy. I thought it was a fun sketch. I laughed a lot. Dan was perfect. Bill Murray was a little tongue tied. But each character really brought out something fun. They absolutely pushed the envelope with Belushi. Like I said, if you get hung up on words like people tend to do today, it's not going to hit and you're going to be very offended. But uh, nope, this was right up my alley for what a, what a good sketch is.
Who's your star of the night? Let's start with Dan Aykroyd. I didn't think anybody killed it this episode, but I really thought he killed it in everything he was in. I love Beldar, and I loved him uh, as the uh, the person in that restaurant. And in the the man sketch, he's a savant of the show and these weird characters, and uh, he brought it tonight. I think he really stood out. percent agree with you. His character work tonight was off the charts, as it tends to be. There's There's lots of people who can do... Lots of different things, but he seems to be able to do the most different things all strongly. And and yeah, he was he was on it tonight. I went with Jane. It was by no means a runaway, but uh, but Jane gave enough uh, the Conehead Joan Crawford uh, update. Yeah, that Jane was was really good tonight. Um, and even like what Lorraine and Gilda did, it was a light night for them, but they both did quite well. So overall, uh, this was Bill Murray's heaviest episode to date, but he really didn't bring the funny and uh, as much as he should have. The news reading on update was kind of jarring, and Nick is still in its early stages. This to me was an interesting episode. They were trying a lot of new things, and they honestly tried a lot of strange things. And in many ways, this was like the most forward-thinking episode. I mean, they they were talking about bank machines and and men having shows parodying feminist movement and face transplant the the the, the beyond vegan restaurant i mean you, you know you use both tonight the tech was dreadful it's i mean the camera fucked up a few times but the the microphones being everywhere rattling microphones it was just such a weird thing uh, weird angles for garish there were some returning characters tonight some recurring characters but it's not the regular fare i mean we didn't have baba wawa we didn't have emily latella but uh it is time i think for them to back off on the coneheads for a couple of weeks maybe give belushi's ranting guy uh, at the weekend update desk a bit of a rest too jane doing impressions is rare but she always nails them and Gilda being a second banana for a lot of her stuff was also kind of rare. And uh, the host not being overly in every sketch, especially when someone like Elliot Gould, who's proven he has the chops, was was odd as well. So there was just a lot of odd stuff about this show. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. Um, on this one, I wound up going 5.5 out of 10. It definitely felt really janky. The whole show was a little off, aside from the, the makeup work. Shout out to, to the makeup crew. They killed it. Tech was off, lines getting flubbed, the music was flat, the host was barely there. Yeah, there were there were some good moments uh, for sure, but the overall show was pretty rough, and I'm going with a 4.5. We're we're all in the same ball, general ballpark. Uh, Elliot was a non-entity. The music was shit, and too many mistakes. And I know, like, you know, it's a, it's live television. Sometimes you make mistakes, but you're also professionals and you're making tons of money. So, you know, do your jobs and, and do them better and take them more seriously, maybe. Uh, but whatever. I'm not in the union. I don't know what the Teamsters are doing behind the camera. The point <laughs> is, is that, it, you know, despite a few successes, it wasn't a thoroughly funny episode and a little more miss than hit. So I'm going to go with a 4.5 myself. So uh, my 5.5, Matt's 4.5, and Mark's 4.5. Give this one a 4.8. And uh, the folks at the Internet Movie Database were a lot kinder than we were, and they went with a 7 out of 10. Drunks. Uh, big McGarnacle <laughs> fans over there, are they? <laughs> that's right. Oof. And that's, that makes it the 16th, uh, number 16 of the year, 16 out of 22. And uh, 313 to date. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, a little kinder than uh, than I would be even on a good day. Me too.
They don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. So, uh, Mark, we're going to get to see you one more time in season two. You'll be back for our last episode of the season. Um, but thanks for tonight. Uh, today was a little rushed for us as well, but uh, but sometimes that's how it has to be. But thanks very much for your time, Mark, and uh, oh. great job tonight. Pleasure as always, guys. Always happy to join you for another Saturday night. Thanks for squeezing us in, Mark, and also thank you for attending the podcast on such short notice. My pleasure. So, Matt, we'll be back uh, next week uh, for episode 20. Do you know who our uh, host is next week? Oh, shit, he said during the credits. Um, I've lost it. It's uh, Eric, Eric Idle. Eric Idle, yeah, yeah, I just remember when you said that. And his uh, musical guest is Neil Innes, who, uh, does the name ring a bell? It rings a bell. Is he, okay, is he well, funny? He's, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's Eric Idle's musical collaborator <laughs> from the Ruggles. Yeah, and he played um, Robin's minstrel in uh, in Holy Grail and stuff like that. Funny guy. So we'll be back in about a week with uh, Season 2, Episode 20, starring Eric Idle. But until then, we'll be looking for our very own face transplants here in SNL. Hell. <laughs> <laughs>